Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. Hi everyone, Tara Williams here with the Mom Manual. I'm super excited for our guest today, Rachel Mitchell. She is a pediatric and maternity sleep specialist. She's a founder of My Sweet Sleeper, and she's a mom of seven. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I think first and foremost, seven kids, you are a saint, but we <laughs> love to hear your story on how you got into being a sleep specialist and founding your own company. That's amazing. Can you give all our listeners, if they don't know who you are, a little bit of background on you and your company? Yes, I would be happy to. My journey to becoming a sleep specialist was kind of interesting. It's not something that I really even know you know, knew existed before I did this work. It wasn't something that, you know, in college I was pursuing, I kind of stumbled across it in a non-traditional way. So I had spent the first part of my career in corporate marketing. I was traveling a lot. I was working with hotels. And when I had my first son in 2010, I just knew that I didn't want to continue to do that. That would require me to be away from him for a long time. So I decided to take a step back from corporate marketing in that structure. And I just was kind of trying to figure out what am I going to do? You know, what am I interested in? I wanted to go back to school. And that's kind of when I started looking at different programs and a friend of mine had actually recommended an infant specialist and sleep consultant training course. So I looked into it. I was really interested and I decided to go ahead and register, took a leap of faith. And at that time, that I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was just kind of nannying and night nannying specifically on the side. So I actually would go into parents' homes, care for their newborns so they could get, you know, a full night of rest. And then I would leave in the morning. And I found that a lot of them were asking me for sleep guidance. And while I had a little bit of experience, I was like, oh, man, I don't have, you know, a lot of knowledge on sleep science or anything like that. So the timing was actually great. So I got certified in this program. And then, you know, and that was 11 years ago. In addition to my training, I have a background in human and child development, and I've just continued to take trainings to kind of further my knowledge and expertise in this field. It's so interesting because my daughter was born in 2012. And at that time I had heard of this, but I thought it was more something for a sleep consultant or a night nurse or a sleep trainer was more for the rich and famous. Like it wasn't a thing that regular people had access to. You were definitely in at the beginning, would you say? Definitely. I mean, when I first started, most people were like, what is a sleep consultant? What do you do exactly? And I did a lot of explaining as to what this profession was and how I supported parents. And there was a lot of misunderstanding. Some people thought I was like a sleep doctor. Some people thought I was a nanny, you know, it was, it was a little confusing, but now, you know, it's it's really gained a lot more awareness, which is a great thing. And so most people at this point, you know, they've either worked with a sleep consultant or they're aware that we exist. 
Yeah, I would say it's definitely super streamlined. It's, you know, now in 2022, I think everybody knows. And you, you actually do trainings now for sleep consultants, right? Yeah, we certify other individuals to become sleep consultants. And our program had to go through an approval process to do that through the APSC. And so that has been the last three years that I've been doing that, which has been a whole other venture, which has been really exciting. Super cool. So if anyone's listening and you want to be a sleep consultant, reach out to Rachel. Okay, Rachel, do you want to jump in and give us the first takeaway? Yes. So the first takeaway, I like to kind of present knowledge that maybe not everybody knew and something that has been really interesting in my background as I've furthered my education in human and child development is understanding, you know, just the research that has been done on infant sleep. It's actually not a ton. There are a lot of different studies that link different things with infant sleep and development that I find interesting. So my first takeaway specifically would be for pregnant women, because I also work with pregnant women. And that would be to just prioritize sleep specifically in your pregnancy. So I believe everybody should prioritize sleep for their health in general, but in pregnancy, there are studies that have shown that a woman's sleep patterns can affect infant wake sleep cycles as well. That certainly is not always the case, of course, but it's really important to prioritize your own sleep and pregnancy, not only because you are growing a human and it's tiring and it takes a lot of energy. And when you're doing other things too, you know, you can easily get run down, but also because it can affect your infant later on. Okay. That is the super interesting thing to me because for me, I had three kids who slept really well, just out the gate. And then my Luke, which I started Dreamland baby for, was a horrible sleeper. And I think sometimes you just hear those parents say, oh, they're just born a good sleeper or not. But you're mm-hmm. saying that what happens in our sleep during pregnancy could be a factor or is definitely a factor to that good sleeper, bad sleeper once they're born. Yeah, it can. And, you know, of course there's other factors to consider, but when people say that, oh, I guess my baby's just born a good sleeper, that actually could be true. There's a genetic component to a lot of it is, is linked to temperament as well. So, you know, I, I share a lot that I have really mellow babies and very high strung toddlers and all babies are very different, but they have a very mellow disposition and they are typically good sleepers out the gate or they sleep well, they have good sleep hygiene, you know, just initially, while there are some babies that are more high strung that are just born with fussy temperaments and that absolutely affects sleep. And that can be related to mom's sleep patterns, among other things during pregnancy. Of your seven children, you adopted one child. Is that right? So yeah, our family dynamic is really (laughs) interesting. Um, between my husband and I, we have seven. So he has three, you know, from a previous marriage, I have one, we have full custody of, of our grandson, his, his biological grandson. And then we have two of our own, including a five month old baby. That's interesting too. You have almost a sample size of kids from different parents, right. That live with you, that you can mm-hmm. see their sleep temperaments. I still don't understand it. Like my four kids, they have the same mom and dad, but they, their sleep three was exactly the same. And then one was completely different. And I would say like two of my kids have really similar personalities. And then the other two have similar personalities. 
two of them are like very feisty and, and spunky and sassy. And the other two, like you said, are more kind of mellow and relaxed and chill, I guess. But one of them that was that feisty baby Luke, like he was the one that didn't sleep, but then my other feisty daughter did. So how do you kind of correlate that part? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of it has to do with birth order. So psychology has shown that children who are born, you know, like the firstborn, for example, there's a lot of traits that are specific to their birth order compared to the youngest child, you know, which is, there's a lot floating out around there. Like these are the characteristics of the older child, the middle child, the classic youngest child, you know, there's some truth that some of it is really, you know, kind of myth, but there is some truth to that because if you think about it, you know, your oldest child was born at a very different time in your life than your youngest child. And so, you know, for me, my oldest child was born almost 12 years ago and our youngest child was born five months ago. And when I think about the differences, you know, he had me all to himself. Um, It was a very different lifestyle I had at that point. It was a slower pace of life. And now with our five month old being born into a family of six other children, she's like toted here and there and we're at baseball games and she's sleeping in the carrier and there's loud children all the time. And so those things affect baby's temperaments as well. And just how they interact with one another, how they interact with the world. So that's definitely part of it. And then part of it is just that their genetic makeup is different. So some children are very similar in some ways. And most of the time they're very different in many ways. It's a nature and a nurture component to it. So when you talk about prioritizing sleep, how many hours is ideal? You know, typically the recommendation is, you know, from like the national sleep foundation is usually somewhere for adults between seven to nine hours. We like to see a minimum of seven hours and usually more than nine hours could actually, you know, not be great because you could, you need time awake as well. Um, For pregnant women, it tends to be a little bit on the higher end. So typically a minimum of eight hours and closer to nine hours. Or in addition, that could also be like a one hour nap during the day or 45 minute nap, because again, pregnancy, you are exerting a lot of energy. So what about for those pregnant women that are like, oh, I'm just so exhausted all the time. I'm going to bed at five o'clock. I'm taking a two hour nap. Are are you like you're oversleeping? I mean, it is possible that you could be oversleeping. All of our bodies need to go through. I mean, we have circadian rhythm that helps drive our sleep cycles. And sometimes those sleep cycles can get thrown off a lot. If you take an afternoon nap, that's too long. Like that's like, for me personally, when I take a nap past an hour, I wake up and I'm like, what century is it? I have no idea what's going on. You feel worse. So yeah, I can feel worse. So, and that's truly because we're meant to sleep are long stretches of restorative sleep at night. So if we kind of confuse our cycles that way, then our circadian rhythm can get thrown off. But also pregnancy is just tiring. So you might be sleeping great, but it's just a lot of energy you're exerting. And if you're not feeling well in general and you have any other pregnancy symptoms going on too, that can definitely affect things. And if you have other children, that's also tiring. Right. Almost like when you're sick, then you sleep extra because you're kind of helping your body. Yeah. You know, one thing that I always tell my husband, I think, unfortunately, I feel like my, my ideal sleep is 10 hours, which maybe is not, but I just, I feel like I need more sleep. And I envy those people that can run on four hours. Cause that's just not me. Like I'm exhausted. But what I have found is if there's a night where I stay up and maybe I only get six hours of sleep, for example, and I do that for a few nights, then on the weekend, I want to sleep 
one night for like 12 hours, because I, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you almost have a sleep bank. So if the average nights sleeps should be eight hours, but there's three days that you get three less then like you should at some point make those up. <laughs> is that something I made up or is yeah. that a Sort of. Well, first of all, I want to say you shouldn't envy people that can run on four hours because that's super unhealthy and nobody should get four hours of sleep. But, um, but there are people that just have higher sleep needs for sure. So there are those individuals that they get a solid seven hours and they're like, okay, I'm great. I feel rested. I feel ready to, you know, tackle the day. And there's others that are you know, like you, where they're like, no, I really need like 10 hours. And that's just knowing your body. So that's important. If you need 10 hours of sleep, that's just kind of your clock. And that's totally fine. There's not necessarily evidence to support that we have a sleep bank per se. However, definitely it's like anything. If you're run down and run down and run down at some point, you're going to crash. So if you are not getting the adequate sleep that you need day to day, night to night, then you're going to eventually crash and make up that sleep. And that could be in the matter of one night in 12 hours, or that could be two solid nights of 10 hours of sleep. It's different for everybody. The difference is like a sleep bank would imply that like, okay, I got three hours of, you know, where I slept nine hours. I don't need as much the next night and I can just carry over the sleep and it doesn't work like that. Unfortunately, that would be awesome though. So myth debunked. You want to bring us into, you know, we talk about prioritizing sleep and the big question is, okay, but how I'm so busy. I have so much going on. Do you want to take us into your next takeaway? So one of the ways that you can do this is really prioritizing a calming environment and routine, which we tend to do for our babies, but not as much for ourselves, especially not in pregnancy. And it's so important because stress in pregnancy also can have an effect on baby sleep and their overall temperament and potentially other issues later in life. And I'm not talking just about like the day-to-day stress of, you know, finances or just getting things done around the house, but major stress typically is what would have an effect on baby. But just in general, we want mom to be able to stay in, in a calmer state and just be able to focus on, you know, caring for herself, caring for baby. And one of the ways you do that is prioritizing having a routine, a calm wind down routine, which I'm going to say it. And I know everybody gets to hear this, but turning off the TV and not looking at your phone a couple hours before you go to bed is super important. And also just thinking about that transition from, you know, high levels of activity, or even just like a lot of stimulation to going in bed. A lot of people are doing things, you know, they even could be working out or they're like on the phone or watching TV. And then they go straight into their bedroom and lay down and wonder why they can't sleep. And that's a lot of the reasons because we need that transition time. And so routine is incredibly important for adults, but specifically for pregnant women as well. So I I think that's always such a hot topic because my husband and we live in now our second home together, but our first bedroom at our first house, I really like fought him on having the TV in our bedroom because I, I don't watch TV in general. And I just, I didn't really want it there. I think it didn't add anything aesthetically. Like I didn't want it on. Like it, I wanted our bedroom to be the sanctuary. I almost imagined, I guess when I was younger and dreaming of a house that like my bedroom would almost be like a spa or a hotel. 
it would be this place of retreat and rest. And I know that really is the ideal place, almost like there's, you know, that calming music and the lights are dimmed. And I always really wanted to have extreme blackout shades. Growing up, I had this um, arched window and the top of the arch had no covering. So when the sun came up, my room was light. And I thought when I'm an adult and I can have my own place um, and a TV just didn't blend in with, with what I thought I'd have in, in my room. Mm-hmm. And when I lived alone, actually, I did kind of create like a sanctuary for myself. Um, you know, that after college, before you get married time and I didn't have a TV in there. And I, I just thought it was great. Like I'd put on music and a diffuser and all that, but he says that it helps him fall asleep. So he likes to have the TV on and he does fall asleep. So he likes Seinfeld, which I cannot stand. And so Seinfeld <laughs> oftentimes before we go to bed and then I will look over and he will be fast asleep. And I am like hooked on watching Seinfeld, which I don't even like. And I don't even enjoy, but I'm like, I, I need to see how the episode concludes. Is it more of the psychology where for me, like I need everything as a closed loop. I need to close the episode. I need to end it. Or is it actually just the light? Like, what is it about the TV that's detrimental? You know, there's a few different things and I can relate to that. When I first met my husband, I didn't even own a TV at all. So our lifestyles were very different, but it's primarily the light that suppresses melatonin. So, you know, melatonin starts to produce in the evening and it's at the onset of, you know, triggering the onset of sleep and melatonin can be easily suppressed by any type of light, but specifically blue light. So you know, I even recommend dimming the lights because if you have all of the lights on your home, then you might start to feel sleepy and then you get a second wind because you're overstimulated by light. Um, so that's part of it. You know, the other part is obviously that it stimulates your brain. So kind of in your case, like instead of winding down, you're now very invested in this episode and you're thinking about it and you want to know what happens and that prevents you from going to sleep. And for other people like your husband, it could be the white noise that's actually like soothing. Um, And there certainly are those people that are less affected. I mean, my husband is also one of those people. He could watch TV and then go right to sleep. He could drink a cup of coffee and go right to sleep. And that's not necessarily healthy, but there are people that just aren't as affected where I am very sensitive to light, to everything. Um, I am like a princess sleeper. There's just differences, just like there are in babies, there's differences in adults with your sleep styles and, you know, your temperaments and such individually. So then would you recommend more reading a book? Because one thing that I've started doing because my husband watches TV. So I have every night, I have an eye mask that I put on and I used to actually sleep with earplugs because I, I, I could sleep like a coffin. I would, I'm not joking. I would, I want <laughs> completely dark, completely enclosed. I sleep with, I actually sleep with one of our, we have the kid weighted blankets. It's four pounds. I didn't like mm-hmm. the full weighted blanket because it was just like hard to move on my bed. But so I sleep with that. I also have like, this is so embarrassing. It's basically a lovey from when I was a baby. And oh. I hold on to that. This is ridiculous actually, as I'm thinking, like I am a baby. I'm literally a baby. <laughs> Give me a pacifier and let's wrap it up. So I have, I have all these things ear. What were they? I use these, like, I'm trying to think of what they were called. 
I just bought them at Target, but they were the things were in my ears, but they had like this, like a putty component almost. It felt like putty or like, it was like a clear thing. Anyways, I couldn't find them anymore. So I don't know if they're taken off the market for some reason, but I know you were supposed to change them out really often. And, and like, I didn't, so I just didn't know if it was going to like give me an ear infection or, or like long-term, I don't know, bother my ears or something. Anyways, my husband said like, I shouldn't be sleeping with no sound in my ears all night. So then what I started doing is listening to audiobooks, And so I would put the earbuds in my ear and then they're the noise canceling ones. So they drowned out the TV. And then because my eye mask is on, I can't see it anyways. And then I would listen to something to go to bed. But I listen to a lot of um, stimulating things like business books and, and, you know, to-do books and that type thing. So I realized I couldn't listen to those. I needed to listen to something yeah. that was almost like watching reality TV like just a really easy read kind of murder mystery, whatever. And then I put like a 10 minute alarm on the book so I could hear it for 10 minutes and then it would shut off. And that gets me to sleep immediately. That's true for a lot of people. They need something to fall asleep. You know, my recommendation with reading is that absolutely can be very helpful to fall asleep. I just recommend that it's light reading. So I used to do that same thing too. I'd read like a business book and then I get all these ideas. I'm like, yes. Oh my gosh, I have to write it down. Yes. And then I'm like, I don't think this is helpful for my sleep because now I want to get on my computer and like do work. Yes. <laughs> so light reading, something that's soothing, something that is like, I have a devotional that I try to do in the morning. And if I don't get to it in the morning, I do it in the evening. So something that's light and calming is typically my recommendation. So if you're finding that you have that type of reading and it is helping you, then I think that's fine. I also don't recommend sleeping with earplugs in where you are being exposed to sound though, because it can stimulate your brain and keep your brain more in an active state as opposed to non-REM sleep. You don't recommend the earplugs because you can't hear anything? I don't recommend the earplugs if there's sound coming through the earplugs. Oh, got it. Okay. Something like if it's music that you're listening to all night long, I don't recommend that. Got it. Um, You want, you want them to be turned off an endpoint on them. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Otherwise the earplugs can be fine. Like the rubbery ones or whatever, um, to drown out other noise. If that's what you need, that's typically fine. As long as it's meant for sleep, really just, you have to make sure the brand is, Incredible and that type of thing. Like for me, I can't sleep with earplugs in because it makes my ears really sore. So everyone's kind of different in that way. Yeah. It was something was happening to my ears. I felt like they were, yeah. they had like water in them. I don't know. Something mm. seemed off about it where I couldn't yeah. remember why I stopped using them. And then my husband, I think really the reason my husband didn't want me to use them because the kids would come in our room in the morning <laughs> get asleep and he'd be like, go back to bed. <laughs> He's like, those things out. But yeah, I haven't worn them for a few, a few years now. Final question on the bedtime routine. So another thing I have to, you know, round out my baby sleep, I have a mister, like it, I put the calming oils in it and it, yeah. but I have read some mixed reviews on those of having mold inside or, you know, actually putting allergens in the air. What's your stance on those? Yeah. So that I don't recommend them for children. I find that children are typically very sensitive to scents of any kind, even if it's in the natural form of oil and from a mother of two children who have asthma and one that has severe eczema, we cannot personally use them because they're scented. So uh, for children, I don't recommend them. I like to use it in our room. I mean, I don't now because our five month old is still in our room, but 
I do like to have oils running in our room, but you have to be very diligent about cleaning the mister to ensure that water, because mold can build up very quickly. So every day you should be cleaning it and drying it out. And then in terms of allergens, you just have to, I find that is like, there's allergens in the air, no matter what you do. You know, I find that again, if you are sensitive to scent of any kind, or you have sensitivity to it, then I definitely would not do that. I would make sure whatever oils you're using are the purest oils they are diluted correctly and not all oils are created equal. So you know, I would look into that for sure. And then for adults, I feel like it is fine as long as you're kind of doing your due diligence and reading up on the oils you're using and, and that type of thing. But there's conflicting research when it comes to oils, but I just don't like to use them for kids. Yeah. I have some friends who actually drink the oils and I know mm-hmm. that is a little bit controversial. Is there a brand that you would recommend that you think is better than others? Yeah. I mean, I personally have used like the doTERRA oils and I'm not affiliated with them in any way. I'm not like a represented for them or anything like that. I think my sister got them for me or something, but I typically just use the doTERRA ones. doTERRA. Okay, cool. All right. Do you want to bring us into our last takeaway? Yeah, absolutely. So the last takeaway primarily related to pediatric, you know, infant sleep is I mentioned that when I first started in this field, nobody really knew what a sleep consultant was. This was like before the era of Instagram for business, like when you had to be like in college to have Facebook. So very different way that we were getting education and content. And I feel like now as a person who was, you know, in the millennial generation and now this new generation, it's like content is everywhere and there's conflicting advice and there's rules and there's do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that. And this is good for you. No, that's good for you. So I find it's very overwhelming. Whereas before for me, I'm like, ignorance was bliss kind of, I mean, with my son, I did a lot of things that were maybe not quote unquote good, but I wasn't, I didn't have anxiety and now I have anxiety. (laughs) I think, cause I know too much information. So, you know, to tie all this together, I really encourage parents to just use your instincts when it comes to sleep. And that's kind of what our program is all about. We give guidelines. We talk about awake windows. We talk about setting a healthy foundation. We talk about an ideal sleep environment, but ultimately I just really encourage parents use your instinct. Like I'm giving you a guideline that does not feel good to you. Then you should do the thing that feels better to you as a parent and not be so bound by rules that you are going against your natural parental instincts because we have those for a reason. And so I think it's really important for parents to hear that in a society that's very saturated by content where everywhere you turn, you're being told what to do as a parent. So that's my kind of third and final takeaway. And I think also comes from being a mom of seven that you know, there's so many different things going on with our kids at all times that I don't have time to like Google everything. You know, I'd spend my whole day online looking for information. And sometimes I just have to say, I don't know if I'm doing this right, but I'm going to do it this way. Cause this is what I feel led to do. Yeah. I think that's such a great point, you know, with influencers and just people in general on social media, giving their views, a lot of the advice is not qualified. Rachel, I love you as a certified sleep consultant. I mean, you have taken courses, you have college credits that lead to this. You have done this for over 10 years with thousands of babies. 
like, you know, what works and doesn't. So I would say follow Rachel, or if you don't like her style, find another certified sleep consultant, but make sure it's something yeah. that has some larger expertise. Of course, American Academy of Pediatrics is always going to be great for really that regulated, you know, this is what we believe to be best evidence-based. Another thing is I know with people, women, especially first time moms and their own parents, where there's always mm-hmm. that push and pull of the mom says, oh, they should be sleeping on their stomach. And it's like, well, mom, we have different information now, or, you know, they should be. Yeah. I know one thing that I never really thought about. I used to dress my daughter. She was born in July. I mean, we put her in basically a snowsuit. She'd have little things on her hands. She'd have the socks on. She'd have a bodysuit with a sweater. Like I was always nervous. She was going to get cold with a blanket and it's like, okay, babies don't need anything more than one layer. So, I mean, it's just little things, but yeah, I, I really couldn't agree with you more. It's really just go with your gut. And, and I think the thing to realize is if we take a step back, there have been babies born for hundreds of thousands of years before there were books. And those moms figured it out. I mean, a lot of the information is anecdotal, like this worked for my baby. So right. you should do this. And that's just not realistic. And so giving one size fits all advice just isn't helpful in most situations. So I just find that, like you said, it's like, we have been having babies since the beginning of time. And that is something that we have to rely on. You know, we were given instincts for a reason. So, yeah. Okay. Rachel, let's jump into our fire round. Are you ready? I'm ready. What are you currently binging on TV? I do not watch TV. (laughs) So nothing though. I there's a handful of series that I've gotten into in the past one of them was the crown, but that was like literally the last series I watched. And that was three years ago, but my husband and I do want to start Yellowstone. I've heard good things about that. So that's a list. that is a good one. We watched the first season and I keep, it keeps coming up. So I'm going to have to go back. It's a fun one to watch um, with a friend or, a, you know, a spouse. Cause it's, there's lots of drama and like, who do you think did this and what happened there? What's the most recent book you've read? So the book I'm reading now is called theology of home. It's something that was recommended to me. It is a religious-based book, but it's also just very interesting related to homemaking and how the art of homemaking has kind of been lost. And even though I'm a working parent, I do work from home and I also, you know, still consider myself kind of like a homemaker. So yeah, it's really interesting. I like that. What is your like go-to productivity app? Trello. I believe every person should use Trello, whether you work or you don't work. It's like just this amazing thing that everyone should have. What? I don't think I've heard of it. What is it? It's basically like you can create different columns in my Trello board. It's different boards and we use it for our business, but I also use it personally. So basically like to do today, to do this week, to do this month, to do eventually and done. And it is just a way to stay organized personally and professionally. And you just kind of move, like there's so much satisfaction and you get a task done, you like move it over to the done board. It's pretty awesome. Okay. I'm going to have to look into that because I do love like seeing, uh, seeing the check marks and yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Final question. What, what's your go-to de-stressor? My go-to de-stressor is kind of interesting because for some people this is stressful, but uh, running. So I have been a runner for as long as I can remember. And that is the thing that I just like need to get out, put my feet on the pavement or a trail. And I could be having the worst day ever. 
And when I get out to run, it just really changes my mood and I feel better. It's amazing. I love running too. That's a de-stressor for me. Where can everyone find you? So I can be found in a few different places. Our website is my sweet sleeper or sweet sleep Academy. That's our sleep consultant training. If that was something interesting and our social channels are all at my sweet sleeper. So Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, all places you could reach out to us. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast.